Stories from the past to present. This is the history of Ducks hockey. Let's turn the pages back and relive from mighty till now. Everyone, and welcome to episode two of From Mighty Until Now. Ken French with you inside the Paul Korea Studios. And uh, it is my pleasure, Anaheim Ducks fans, to bring in the original Mighty Duck himself, your friend and mine, my broadcast partner, my good friend, Guy A. Bear. How are you, man? I'm great, but wait, what? This is episode two? Episode two. two. And oh, by the way, did you catch the name of the studio? Uh, The Paul Korea Studio. Yeah, I've got a bone to pick already. (laughs) First of all, um, episode two, you had those two clowns in here first. I did. And uh, just so you know, I don't schedule schedule these things. Just so you know, I just get asked to come in and sit down. And I appreciate you saying I did a great job, but I said 10 things for 45 (laughs) minutes. And by the way, there's this great uh, glass lit up in the studio, the Paul Korea studio. And they had Paul and Timu sign it. Paul signed it normal, like a normal guy would. Timu took up like three quarters of the glass. It's right in the middle. Does that surprise no, you? No, it in, doesn't. Any- <laughs> at all. I mean, the Flash has his style, and, and that's his style to make sure that everybody knows that he was here like first, yes. I, I take it personally that they signed right there. <laughs> and as I look behind me that, you know, at least I'm, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, I'm fifth here. Yeah. I, I don't know how I got. It's, it's, it's getting, it's, it's got some traction. We hit Dallas Aikens is there. Steve Carroll, who just really prints his name. It's kind of weird. Um, Paul, of course, Guy and you, by the way, what I'm looking at right now, the three names, Paul, Guy, Temu, 1997 all-star game. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I almost forgot. Right. It's been so long ago. Yeah, because that picture of you three guys uh, in San Jose, am I right? Yep, that's right. Um, it was in or, or probably still lives. I haven't been allowed to go in the Doug's locker room <laughs> for <laughs> two years. It probably still it was in that hallway. I mean, that was like an iconic photo that I used to see every morning during morning skate. I mean, uh, I'm going to start there. What was that like with these two, as you said, quote unquote clowns going to that, uh, being on that stage with these guys? Well, just getting invited to the all-star game is just an incredible honor. Uh, It turned out I was uh, an addition because uh, one of the goalies got hurt and we were in Banff going to play Calgary and Ron Wilson, the coach at that time, came up to me at our pregame meal before we got on the bus to drive to Calgary. And he said, Hey, what do you got planned for the uh, little weekend? And I said, Oh, I said, I'd never been to Vegas. My wife and I are going to go to Vegas. And he says, well, he goes, uh, what happens if you couldn't go? And I said, well, I think my wife would be really mad at me. And she, <laughs> and so I'm like, well, why wouldn't I go? And he says, well, because maybe you're going to be in San Jose in the all-star weekend. And I was like, you know, get out. Really? And so then Paul and Tamu already know, and they came over and uh, kind of helped celebrate. But yeah, to be able to go up with a couple of your teammates and enjoy that weekend was uh, certainly memorable. It's something that I'll never forget. And getting, you know, I mean, you're sitting in a locker room. I'm with Annie Moog and Patrick Waugh and, uh, you know, all the greats of that era played against Gretzky and Lemieux in that game. And uh, it was really, I mean, it was really special. Now, if if I, my memory serves me correct, we get to talk a lot when we're not on camera. Didn't you? Was there a time when Gretzky came down on you had a breakaway? Uh, he did, and I. It's one of the few things I have from that uh, All Star weekend. Is there's a, a highlight clip of me making a big glove save on a Gretzky slap shot on a breakaway, and then there's actually a picture of Wayne standing next to me. Uh, and it's just great. You know, you're sitting there right next to the greatest ever play yeah. and have that picture. So I always have that picture uh, right on my desk That's at home. That's classic, 
That is awesome. Um, what a great memory. Uh, so, so that being said, let's keep going down memory lane here and, uh, being the first ever mighty duck. I mean, that's an extinct, a distinction. When I say it, I'm still like, you know, I mean, I know we've become, you know, good friends over the years, but still, I mean, you, I used to interview you back in the day when you were playing for the Mighty Ducks, you and I like did a show together right when he retired. I mean, our paths have crossed for years, but, um, tell everyone the story again of when the expansion draft happened and when things started to look like you could be coming here to Southern California. It's actually, it's a great story. And sometimes if I didn't live it, I wouldn't believe the story itself. Uh, so I was playing in the St. Louis Blues organization. I was backing up Curtis Joseph and, you know, I was starting to push Curtis to get a little more playing time. And uh, we had the all-time great Ron Caron as our general manager, a uh, very animated guy. And uh, as the season kind of wound down, everybody talked about the upcoming expansion draft. It wasn't just Anaheim. It was also the Florida Panthers. Oh, so, right, right. you know, so teams were really worried about losing uh, – two players and and who they might lose and who they can protect. And uh, the short version of the story is, is that, you know, Mr. Crime came to me and said, you know, we don't want to lose you. We're going to try to make a deal. We're going to try to offer up, you know, maybe a package, a player or two to make sure that that you're not selected. So then you fast forward to uh, the expansion draft. It was just amazing. I was uh, back home in Troy, New York, and I didn't really want to sit around waiting for the phone to ring, but I had gotten the call from Mr. Karan the night before saying, we've done what we could. Uh, it looks like both teams are going to take you. So if one doesn't take you, the other team's going to scoop you up. Really? So uh, he's like, you know, we're just prepared that we'll lose Florida you. Florida Anaheim. Yeah, if something happens uh, unexpectedly and you come back, we'll be more than happy to have you come back to St. Louis. But it looks like you're going to have a new home. And so I kind of slept on that. The next day I went out fishing because I didn't want to wait for that phone to ring. And when I got home, uh, my younger brother came running out of the house and he's like, where have you been? He goes, you're a mighty duck. And I was like, <laughs> so that's how I found out. My younger brother ran out to tell me. And uh, really was uh, a surreal moment thinking that. Did you, have, it, did you know what it, a Mighty Duck was? I mean, had you heard about the franchise and you knew kind of the Disney thing? Yeah. I mean, anybody who was kind of a, a player who thought they could be picked up in the expansion draft certainly paid attention. Yeah. And uh, Curtis Joseph and I used to joke and I said, listen, I go, if I get picked up by the Mighty Ducks and that's really their name. I said, I'm going to paint just a big yellow bill on my new mask. And we kind of <laughs> laughed about it. And I, oh, wouldn't that be hysterical? And, uh, you know, who would have thought that, you know, I'd end up being, uh, you know, selected by the Ducks. But as it turned out, it did. And, and you know, I look back at that as as one of the greatest, uh, you know, coincidences or happenstances for my career. It gave me an opportunity to come out here and try to show, you know, the NHL and the Mighty Ducks that I could be their number one goaltender and uh, have a chance to play for a lot of years. Growing up back east, going to college back east, playing for the Blues, all of a sudden you find yourself here in the Sun Belt. Uh, it, I, the irony of it, there's two Sun Belts to choose from. You <laughs> yeah. ended up on the one on the West Coast. Um, coming out here to Southern California, Anaheim in particular, what are your first memories of the first time you kind of stepped off the plane and, and got to the rink and, and all the guys are in flip-flops and shorts on their way out to the cars, you know, after a skate, I mean, that had to be kind of surreal for you. Yeah. Well, you know, as I went to college, I'll give Hamilton college a little plug uh, for my four years there. Oh, by the way, Guy's numbers up there. It, it, my, my number is in the rafters there. Yes. I, I'm not saying that it should be in the rafters someplace else. Well, I think it should. But, you yes. know, uh, if anybody wants to vote out there and send some uh, Joey Liberatore, you could contact at the uh, the Anaheim Ducks and let him know your 
your thoughts on Better that. Better known as Joey Cocktails. <laughs> yeah, Joey. <laughs> Joey Cocktails. Um, hey, this is just like being on the set for a game, and now I don't know what I'm talking That's about. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we just go on these random, these random things. But no, so yeah, I, I appreciate oh, you going to Hamilton here, yeah. College, you know, shout out, four years there. Um, yeah, and just being an East Coast guy, then all of a sudden you're playing hockey here in a brand new market out on the West Coast. Yeah, well, at St. Louis, we played in the old St. Louis Arena, and so there were pigeons flying around during the games. There were cats the size of dogs in there. Oh, I, I mean, it was kind of a crazy old building. It was, uh, you know, really cool to play in that old building. But when we flew out as a team, all the guys that were picked up in the expansion draft, uh, Mike Leisner and Disney and, and Jack Ferreira, everybody uh, flew us out here. Landed in Orange County. I remember getting off the plane in Orange County, and I'm like looking at one guy. I'm like, he looks like a hockey player. It was Terry Yake. Looked at another guy, and I'm like, he looks like somebody. Like, oh, Steve King. And so a bunch of us were on the same flight, and so we all kind of piled in, and we stayed at Disneyland. Came in. You stayed at Disneyland. Yeah, so we stayed at Disneyland Hotel (laughs) back in the day. and But it was just great. You know, uh, Mr. Eisner came in, you know, uh, welcomed us to, you know, Anaheim and and the city, and then they took us all over to uh, the pond, which – wasn't really called anything. I can't remember. The Anaheim Bullfrogs were the only tenant playing games, uh, the roller hockey. By the game. way, I'm drinking Arrowhead water. There you go. I There's was handed the Arrowhead water as a sponsor of the Anaheim Ducks. I love that. Product oh. placement. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, it used to be the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim. Now, of course, the Honda Center. But uh, but it was just amazing. Walked into a state-of-the-art brand-new building and, and couldn't wait for things to go. But uh, you know, the weather was just an absolute shocker for all of us. I mean, we did. I don't think I put long pants on any day <laughs> during the year, except for my suit to come to the games. That's great. And it was just, uh, it was phenomenal. I remember calling home and saying, like, it never rains here. It's always like sunny in 72. This is amazing to be able to play hockey and then leave the rink and kind of be able to decompress, go to the beach, do whatever you wanted to do outside. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And as you guys got closer to the first game, the home opener here at Honda Center, here at, I'm sorry, the Arrowhead Pond, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim's first ever game in front of the fans. Did you have any idea what to expect? Being owned by Disney, it was going to be Disneyed out, but did you even have a fathom of what this was going to look like? Uh, none of us did. And it was, we knew that there was Disney magic. Everybody talked about Disney, Disney magic, magic. Right. And yeah. so we said, well, what exactly is Disney magic with hockey in the NHL? And uh, we actually did um, kind of a little thing over at Disneyland uh, prior to that first game. Actually, that's Ron Wilson took uh, my goalie partner at the time, Ron Tugnut. Yeah. And I pulled this aside, said, hey, you both had great training camps, but I want to name a starting goalie for the first game. He's just like, gee, you're going to get that start. You know, it's going to be memorable, you know, and as most coaches say, hey, Tugger, be ready just in case, you know, we're, <laughs> and we're, you're playing Detroit. Yeah, we're right? playing the Red Wings. So historically, uh, that was a tough matchup for an expansion team. Uh, but it was an amazing thing. I mean, uh, the way that the, the fans embraced us from that first day, I pulled into the parking lot and I've told some people this story. Uh, again, if I didn't live it, I wouldn't believe it. But I, I can pull into the parking lot. And I pull up to the little toll taker, you know, to, to get into yeah. the, and the woman won't believe me for anything that I'm a player. And so I try to convince her for like 10 minutes that like, no, I really am a player. That's why I'm here like hours before the game. Well, little did I know the parking lot was just completely full Yeah, and people were tailgating. Oh my gosh. And it was such a scene that I had never seen before. 
I end up having to pay like whatever it was, 10 bucks to get in the park in the parking lot. And I pull in and I remember walking into the Honda Center. Well, back then, the, yeah, pond, the pond and seeing everybody tailgating. It was just I mean, it was so cool yeah. and so surreal. And the people were just thrilled to, you know, be there and take part in that first ever game. Did you have any idea what was going on like during the intermissions? What was like uh the Iceman and uh, and Wild Wing going through hoops or jumping over fire and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Well, we uh, when when guys were scratched in the lineup, um, you know, guys were sneaking out trying to see some of the stuff. And, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was pretty focused on. Oh yeah, you know, for sure. You know, trying to make sure I didn't get shelled. <laughs> But yeah. uh, but we knew that there were things going on. And you could hear the you know the fans because you know locker room's not far from yeah. the ice surface, and um, you know, uh, and we were joking just a little while ago about every time the Ducks would score, the Mighty Ducks would score. Tinkerbell. That was on the screen, up, right? On, that on, was on the, the screen. Yeah, oh, the so, jumbotron. On the jumbotron. Yeah. I thought it was just on the TV pro the the broadcast because yeah. I saw Tinkerbell yeah. come in and, yeah. and do so her you, wand thing. Yeah, yeah. So you'd look up at the jumbotron and there's you know Tinkerbell doing the little wand and oh. you know guys of course are hugging from the game and uh, you know it was a little different era so I, I don't think people were quite prepared for it. Uh, but you know, Disney did an incredible job just, you know, that first year with our jerseys sure. and the colors. And, you know, I think they were, uh, number one for a couple of years in, in just all merchandising. So they certainly knew how to do that. And I think it added something certainly to the NHL pirates of the Caribbean. Help me with this. It is one of the most ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this and if you're a true ducks fan, you have, it's, <laughs> it is a poster that will live forever in the history of this organization. It is a shot of the in inaugural team on a boat, a pirate ship in Disneyland. And you guys all dress as pirates. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> how, how in the heck, like when that idea is presented to you, how do, how do you get an entire hockey team to dress as pirates on a boat at Disneyland. Well, it, it helps if you get the day off. And, and we, we didn't get <laughs> oh, there the day you off. But Ron Wilson no. came in and said, hey, we're going to have to do this team event and it's going to be great. It's over at Disneyland. And so he really up. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. He sold it to us. And we're like, OK, what are we doing? And we get there and, you know, you go through like the inner dwellings of Disneyland that nobody ever gets to right. see, you know, costume rooms, yeah. uh, tunnels that get you from one part of the park to the other. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you pop up in Frontierland or whatever. And you're like, how did, how did we get here? Yeah. Uh, but so when we got there, it was we were told that that's everybody was getting in a, a pirate outfit. And so they helped us get into the thing. And, um, and we did. We, I mean, it was hilarious if. I mean, if there was video and everybody had a cell phone like like they do now, I mean, uh, the stuff we would have been posting would have been just absolute classic. But there we were, like 21 of us and the coaching staff all dressed in pirate garb and climbing on. And I remember Sean Hill, um, who's, you know, one of the more entertaining guys I've ever played with. Sean started climbing up the mast. <laughs> and you can see in the actual photo that if you, if anybody still has it out there, I do. I have, I've got that poster. And like Sean is holding on to that, like, you know, roped web of stuff yeah. on the mast. And he just kind of like, almost like free falling. And he's hanging off of it. And uh, it, it was, it was something. I mean, some guys were grumbling about, going and doing it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it was just one of those things. I think most guys try to embrace it because where else would you be doing this? Right. Playing hockey in the NHL. How tough did you guys have to be, especially in that first year, being the mighty ducks of Anaheim and being owned by Disney. And you had some tough guys. You mentioned Sean Hill, Stu Grimson. You have, you had some guys that could, could throw down. I mean, this is a tough, yeah. this is, this team had an edge to it and they were wearing the mighty ducks crest, which now is, 
revered, I think, around the NHL as one of the better logos out there. But at the time, I think, especially when you guys had some of those pajama jerseys and stuff that you had to deal with, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, how did you guys as players were you received at these visiting rinks? Uh, it was tough. And, and, you know, when we first suited up, I remember Jack Ferreira coming down and he's like, there's a reason that there's some guys sitting in this locker room. You know, we will not be pushed around. And he was talking about Stu and Todd Ewan. We had Robin Bauer, Todd Ewan, Jimmy yes. two time Thompson, uh, you know, and then Sean Hill. And I mean, there was there was a big list of guys that uh, were certainly going to be able to stick up for for the teammates and not get pushed around. And even in that first preseason uh, game that we played against the Kings, you know, they had McSorley and they had, you know, I don't know, Warren Reichel and a whole bunch of guys. And uh, it, it was, it was a lot of fights in those early days because we were just saying we won't be pushed around and um, you know, but I, I'm glad to see that everyone's really loved that Jersey. It, it was tough that first year, uh, but on the ice, we proved that we could play with anybody, you know, 33 wins. We tied Florida that year. Uh, with 33 wins, which was uh, the most wins ever for an expansion team. So I think we kind of proved some stuff on the ice as well, as as well as the toughness that we had. Yeah. So you you guys were, or so you were the first, you're the original Mighty Duck. Paul was the first draft choice, of course, yes. coming over the draft in 93. When did you guys start to feel like you had a team that not only could compete, but could get to the postseason and really, you know, kind of do some damage and have, have some fun? Well, you know what? That first year, I, everybody just, you know, enjoyed playing the game. And it was kind of like a team that that no one else can ever play on. You're you're thrown into this brand new arena, brand new city, and you really kind of gel and you play for each other because you're playing for your career. Like some guys were getting their first crack at the NHL. Some guys were kind of in the middle of their career and some guys were on the end trying to hold on for a few more years, knowing if they played well, yeah. it might be you know, a contract. Uh, so I think we really played uh together and gelled quickly together. And and we almost made the playoffs that first year. I mean, we weren't eliminated until late yeah. uh, that first season. Uh, obviously having Paul and knowing that Paul was, you know, Hobie Baker winner and, you know, uh, coming out of Maine and the skill set that he had. And um, I played in the, the uh, world championships in Italy and Paul out of college was playing on Team Canada. So I got first time to see him play oh. live. And I think it was on the line with like Brendan Shanahan, sure. and Shane Corson or whatever. So I'm like, well, they know how to take care of him. I'm like, we're going to have to learn how to take care of him so that he can do what he's you know really gifted yeah. at. Uh, but yeah, when I first met Paul and he came rolling, rolling in, I mean, it was amazing. Just, uh, you know, his focus. Everybody talks about his focus and his commitment to being the best hockey player he could be. And he certainly brought that. And I think when he, you know, I think that gave us some legitimacy around the league that we instantly have a superstar, if not already, but in the making. So I think every time Paul suited up, uh, that was like, okay, how do we surround him with better players to make us uh, kind of a playoff contender? And I, I think, you know, obviously the the, the trade for Tamu Solani it's probably one of the best trades in hockey history and Jack Ferrer, you know, being able to pry him away from Winnipeg and trading uh, Oleg Tavardoski and Chad Kilger to be able to get Tamu. And I remember when that, that guy, that fat Finn came rolling in <laughs> and it was hilarious because the uh, fat Finn, yeah, you know, he was called the Finnish flash and I, I, you know, we all know his uh, ability to score goals, but you know, when you live in Winnipeg, you must put on an extra 10 or 15 little, little doughy. Little, uh, yeah, little outside protection. And so, and Tamu loves to eat, and so he met us in uh, in Long Island to play the Islanders, and you know we we were ecstatic. That I mean, we're like we're getting a bona fide, yeah, you know, I mean, 50, 60 goal scorer, and he's going to play right alongside Paul, 
And now we're, we're an absolute threat to win like every night that we play. Uh, but yeah, Tamu came in and he needed to lose a, lose a couple of pounds. And I remember, you know, we had these like awful looking like onesies or whatever that you'd wear under your equipment. Yeah. And Tamu came walking through the locker room that first game and Ron Milson walked out and he looked and he like gave a double take and he's like, I thought we got the finished flash, but instead we got the fat fin. <laughs> <laughs> it was like we were dying and you know it kind of broke the ice yeah you know and whatever and as it turned out Tamu scored a goal that first game and never never looked back so i'm glad you brought that up because when we're sitting here talking with paul and Tamu, and paul told a story that when they would go out to eat and i'm sure you were there that Tamu would get up and he would start eating off everybody's plate and i had never heard this story before and all of a sudden i mean paul is adamant like he is taking steak at a very nice restaurant i think it was the one in tampa bay um i can't think of it right now but uh yeah it just he's like it was a nice dinner it was like a four or five star dinner and Tamu gets up and he's going around testing everyone's meal is that something that was a regularity i mean what what i mean i did not know this took place well, I mean, he was, uh, he had a very healthy appetite, right? And, uh, but he would, uh, you know, like he would order like a 48 ounce, you know, bone in ribeye or something. That's what Paul said. He said it was a massive and, piece of meat. And it, you'd look over and he'd be gone. And he'd be like, oh, what, what do you got? That medium rare? Let me try a little piece of that. And he'd go around, especially to the rookies. And, you know, we're like, I mean, you can just order another one if you want. But, uh, I mean, it's a good thing that he still works out. Well, yeah, I don't know if he works out. He just plays tennis and golf yeah. and whatever the heck he does. It's oh, that's it's fantastic. So then you get Steve Ruchin involved and you put him in between Tamu and Paul. You got you in goal. Now you're starting to get some traction here. And Ruch just happened to become this perfect centerpiece for these two guys. And I know that there's stories in practice when Tamu and Paul just keep the puck away from him. He never he never touch yeah. it, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, he wouldn't. And I, I roomed with Rooch for seven years on the road. So right. all the griping I would hear about <laughs> them not hugging him or, you know, like they would score and Tamu and Paul go together and hug each other. And then Rooch would be like, okay, I skated all the way down, all the way back, then all the way back down. And you guys scored, and I don't even get a hug. <laughs> so, uh, but Rooch did. Uh, I mean, Rooch came in, and you know, he was like from a Canadian college, and kind of found him through a supplemental draft, yeah. which only existed for a couple of years. Uh, we were able to get him in that supplemental draft, and you know, he came in, and he was definitely rough around the edges that first year or so. And then things clicked. I mean, he was a big guy and then he just, I mean, he fit perfectly. Like you said, he just did all the hard, you know, dirty work, you know, checking down low, getting the puck out and trying to get the puck up to those two guys, let them do what they do. And then just try to join the play the best he could. But, um, you know, he had a great, uh, great personality to fit between the two of those guys. I mean, you know, I, you just had them here, right? I mean, they're yeah. like oil and water. I mean, Paul's super serious and so focused during his career, you know, got the blinders on for a game. Tamu, he's sitting in the training room watching Jerry Springer in between periods. I mean, they couldn't be polar opposite, but when they got on the ice, it, it was pure magic. And I do think that over all those years playing together, you know, Paul moved, got a little bit less serious, you know, and nudged along the way. And Tamu got a little bit more serious. So they kind of got a little bit closer recognizing that, you know, what each brought to the game could benefit each other. And so that was a little levity for Paul enjoy the game a little bit more and for Tamu to make, take it just a slightly, uh, slightly a little more serious. And, uh, but those days of standing in the net and watching those guys fly down the ice and, and score goals, uh, certainly was magical. And, you know, every time they went down that ice, Frenchie, I, I said, uh, you know, we're going to score. Yeah. I mean, we were yeah. just wait for that crowd to erupt. 
first playoff win for the Mighty Ducks. Do you remember it? I do. I didn't have too many of them, so I remember. (laughs) 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 Figured you might take take me through what it was like and the experience and the fans and and you know uh, just being this franchise finally taking the next step. Yeah. I I mean, again, I'm so fortunate to be able to have played in a lot of firsts for this organization. And, you know, I I certainly didn't take it lightly then. And I I look back now and, and really appreciate that opportunity to have been able to be a part of it. That first game was incredible. Ron Wilson wanted to make sure that, well, you know, Arizona was the old Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And so Phoenix, you know, Winnipeg always had the great whiteout. And they did the whiteout. And so Ron Wilson is like, Hey, screw them. We're going to, this is our thing now. And so he wanted to really kind of, you know, piss them all off. Yeah. Right. And so everybody was to wear white, had white towels in the the arena and, you know, getting that first home game was incredible. And, uh, you know, it, it's so true. You talk about regular season and, and big matchups and rivalries and all that. But when you get to the postseason, there's just nothing like the energy that the fans are able to create. You know, the intensity of the players is certainly to a higher level, but just that energy that's in that building. You know, you score that first goal. It's like the roof just, you know, was blown off the top of the pond. And, you know, I mean, I could feel it in my body. You know, I was just a, in a, an adrenaline rush like no other. And uh, it was great. I mean, you know, we were able to win the first two at home. You know, then uh, we kind of got a little cocky, I think. I mean, it felt like, okay, we're going to sweep these guys and lost a game in, in Phoenix and all of a sudden lost a real close game. Wasn't Ronick on that team? Was he? Yeah, they had, uh, I mean, they, they had a they, decent team. They right? were pretty stacked. Yeah. JR was uh, one of their big players. Yeah. They had uh, uh, Nikki Habibulin. Yes. Uh, Annette. And I mean, uh, Keith Kachuk was on the team. Right. Um, th- yeah. They had, uh, I had a lot of guys. So, I mean, we had finished fourth and fifth. We had just snuck out uh, home ice advantage ab- above them. So, but it was one of those things. We won two at home, lost two on the road. Uh, and then we came back and I think we were just kind of reeling and uh, we lost game five. And we were like, uh oh, this is, you know, this is trouble. And I was, I was really disappointed with my effort in game five. I knew coming home that was a kind of a must win. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, well, we got to win two to move on. And that's your only focus. You got to win that next game in Phoenix. And, uh, you know, that was just one of the all time classics, you know, just being able to go back there, you know, get a big win in overtime with the patented flip pass yep. from Tamu to Paul. I mean, if people haven't seen it, you can probably still YouTube it or whatever. And uh, they used to practice this nonsense uh, all the time in, in practice and be like, when are you ever going to use this? That's why I'm sitting there in the net going, oh, can't use this in a game. And then, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it because as soon as Tamu got that puck, I was like, oh, he's going to flip it. And Paul just took off down the left wing and, and got the puck and then just rifled it over Hobby Bullen's shoulder. And, and you know, so that set up uh, an incredible game seven for our first ever series. Came back to the Honda Center. No doubt in our mind that we were going to win that game. And, you know, certainly with the help of the fans, just going absolute berserk to see a game seven. You know, we beat them three to nothing. And, uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't want to have a game seven shutout That's, you know, in, yes. in the first ever game seven? But, you know, it was one of those things we got scoring from the right guys. I think Carpa had a goal and I think Rooch had a goal that game. And, you know, just it was just one of those things where uh, we really felt like, you know, we had kind of made huge progress in this organization and moved on to play, you know, Detroit, who eventually won the Stanley Cup that year. 1997? 1997. Just 19, a couple years just ago. Just a couple years ago. <laughs> The Mighty Ducks movie, where this all came from, 
there was what three of three or four of them at the time. And I know Paul was asked to be part of it. He was sitting in the booth. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was doing what we do. He was commentating, which I need to look back on. I need to really see how he did on that one. But were you, did you ever take part in that? Because we've been pining. So you told me we're going to try to get into this new whole Mighty Ducks series thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Joey doesn't know yet. You're going to get us in. We are. Joey Cocktails is here. He's going to get us in. We're going to get a, we're going to have a guest starring role. Um, But have you, was there, did you just, was there a story or anything about trying to get in to one of those movies? Yeah, I, I think Wait, my, the cartoon. Yeah, I was gonna say my I think my scene's on the, the cutting room floor. But <laughs> uh but yeah, no, the cartoon. I, I ended did the up cartoon. Doing, uh, the Mighty Ducks cartoon, which was a huge success, by the way. Did uh, you know this, Joey? I, no? I, I think you can still find yeah. it like online somewhere. Yeah. And uh so I, I I was able to go up to LA, go to a sound studio, kind of like this, kind of like the Korea studio. Uh we'll give Paul <laughs> one more plug. Uh <laughs> but it was one of those things where uh you know, I, I was up there with um, uh, Jim Belushi, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. And so he was the. I'm always saying that's right because you told me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't there, nor do I know. But yes. Yeah. No. So I went up to the sound booth and uh, so we sat in this thing and we had these lines to talk about. And uh, and he was incredibly uh, uh, generous with his time and, and trying to make sure that I was comfortable doing this thing. But his character was a GM and in the the little skit of the uh the cartoon was you know hey you know our team's not playing well the mighty ducks whatever and basically pulled me out of the closet you know and had the original mighty duck come in and and that was me so i had a couple lines and uh it, it was a lot of fun to be able to do that and you know it's it's funny what happens because i had my my wife and uh my college roommate and his wife they came up they were sitting in the sound booth and I made some crack trying to be funny about, uh, you know, like, hey, what are you nervous for? I'm like, ah, they make me nervous sitting over there. Little did I know they kicked them out. <laughs> so I do all this stuff. You know, you can't see the lights are sure. all on, whatever. And, you know, I'm like, God, man, with Jim Belushi, this is great. You know, whatever. And then I get done, walk into a little sitting room and I'm like, oh, what'd you think of that? They're like, I don't know. They kicked this out. I was like, oh, no. So. Oh, yeah, I, I haven't lived that one down. And yet, I've yet, seen but. you've showed us the uh, cartoon image. Of Guy Bears. I got a sweet flow. Very good I, flow. I got the hockey hair going. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because Guy uh, was known for the mullet back in the day. You had one of the sweetest mullets going. I, yeah. I mean, I, I classified it more as hockey hair because goalies wanted to stick out of the back of the mask. Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't do it now, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love looking back at your hockey cards and old footage and stuff like that. It's just fantastic. I mean, it was now... Did you like what kind of preparation went in for the hockey hair, as you're calling it, to to maintain it and get the proper flow for that pregame skate? Well, you know, I mean, for goalies, like if you weren't playing, then you kind of have a little more freedom, right? You could have the mask off and skate around a couple laps before you put the mask on. When you were playing, I mean, you were all business. So you'd, you know, you kind of lock yourself on. I put my mask on. A lot of people were upset because I wouldn't take my mask off for the national anthem. Yeah. And, uh, but the way I just look at it, I was buckled up and I was ready to go and I kind of did my own little thing. So, um, but yeah, but if I wasn't playing, I put a little, uh, dippity do in that hair and make sure it's looking good. And, you know, you don't want to be out there and, you know, like the guys always rub your head yeah. trying to mess up your oh, hair course. and you're like trying to fix it. I mean, now they can rub my head all they want. And I mean, nothing can happen. <laughs> They, they might get some good luck. Maybe that's it's it. high and tight. It's yeah. high and tight. It's all right. Um, so you mentioned if if you ever got uh, signed by the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, you would put a big old bill on your mask. So talk about masks. What this this is wasn't this really when masks were starting to kind of 
take the next step and become a personality piece as much as a protection piece? Yeah, goalies always wanted to have some sort of, um, you know, connection with the team and their personality in the mask. And, you know, you had Eddie Belfort and you had the Eagle, right? His nickname was the yep. Eagle. And so with Chicago, he had the Eagles on both sides. And, uh, you know, uh, Curtis Joseph was Cujo. And so he had the, you know, the Cujo dog mm-hmm. on his mask. And so a lot of guys had things like that. I, I you know, I was an art major in college and uh, wanted to have a, you know, a, a hand in designing my own mask. And so with the mask, uh, believe it or not, it was a guy who made masks out of his garage is, is where I got my mask. Really? Yeah. And he did NHL goalies, but basically it was just a, a guy named Ed Carberly worked in his garage. And so I sent him sketches of what I wanted. He had somebody paint it for him. Uh, but I, I, I designed the whole mask. I wanted it to be something simple for people in the stands could look down and actually see what it was. And I think that's what happened. Uh, you know, I mean, now they're so detailed and so intricate and whatever. And when fans look from afar, that they can't really tell what it is. And so I think my, my generation throughout the nineties and early two thousands, it was more geared toward, uh, that was your identity. So even if like you got traded, a lot of guys just took that mask and had it repainted the colors of whatever team they just yeah. went to. So, you know, Belfort, for example, was the Eagle, no matter where he went and Dallas, it was all green, you know, Chicago was red. He went to Toronto it was blue and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, fortunately for me, when I left uh, Anaheim at the end, um, I, it was a short time in New York and I never, I, I got a pretty generically made New York Ranger mask, uh, that I wore for just that last part of the season. But your mask was iconic, still is iconic. I mean, do you look back on that and the design you made? Because then you got uh, one of the ultimate compliments with John Gibson kind of remaking your mask design with the feathers on the sides. And I mean, I think Mighty Ducks fans go, that is, that's what they picture when they think of Guy and the Mighty Ducks back in the day. Is that Matt, you wearing that mask? Well, it's cool. I mean, it's cool that you, you say that. And I mean, that's, you know, I mean, to be able to play here for eight years and, you know, that was part of my thing is, you know, you, you wear the same thing. So it, you're identifiable with those fans. And so every year, sometimes like, oh, it'd be cool to see like a different version of it or a different mask. I had other mask makers make a mask that, you know, had feathers or had something different. Uh, but I kept going back to that original design, which I just thought was, yeah. uh, I mean, just, it, it kind of fit my personality. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I love the fact that even now, uh, uh, former goaltenders and even, you know, Gibby over the years, guys have kind of made little, uh, you know, uh, if they weren't identical, uh, certainly similar. And, uh, you know, I, it just, you know, for me to look back and say that that's super cool that, you know, anybody would want to do that, uh, with their masks to have a little tie to the kind of the history of the franchise. What is it like, um, now being still being connected with a lot of the boys who you came in to the mighty ducks with, in those first several years of the franchise, a lot of the guys still live out here in Southern California to stay connected. And now I know the alumni you're, you're very involved with them and, and staying in touch and getting them to come back. And, and now with this show called, you know, from mighty till now, it's the goal to really to go back and, and, talk to these guys. I mean, um, how has that transition been for you and the excitement that you have being able to bring these guys back and have them share their stories? Well, it's been great getting the, uh, the alumni kind of group in every month we have a meeting. Chris Loomis has done a great job kind of coordinating the effort of getting yes, Loomis. That means you wherever you're Thank at. you very much. Yeah. Yes. Wherever you're at. We're wearing your corduroys. <laughs> Uh, I think he just enjoys it because he loves hearing the stories. And, uh, you know, we just had a meeting a couple of days ago and, 
just great to have. I mean, and we had, you know, we got guys like Brian Allen, we got Jason Marshall and mm-hmm. Dave Carpa, JF Jomf, myself, uh, Sean Pronger. Uh, we have a, a whole litany of guys and, and, you know, we're, we're five guys sometimes at a meeting and then 15 at another. So it's nice to have uh, as many guys who can make it, you know, one day we had, you know, uh, BXs and, and those type of guys, Ryan Miller came to one. So it, it is, I mean, you're thinking 20, it's going to be 29 years this season, if my math is correct. Wow. So there's been, uh, you know, obviously almost, you know, three decades of, of players. And so I think it's just really nice for guys who played a long time ago to be able to reconnect, uh, especially guys who live here, but we're really going to try to be proactive in bringing guys back in uh, who are out of town and we want them to feel comfortable to be able to come back to a place that they played at one point and had a, an impact from uh, whether it was the first day or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's terrible to say in the early nineties, yeah. Uh, but you know, anywhere in the nineties, then, uh, you know, the two thousands and then beyond that. So, um, you know, I see some guys locally, uh, Joffrey Lupel, I see, I see Shane O'Brien, uh, just around town. So it's, uh, it's nice just to bump into those guys and, uh, and they're always welcome. So hopefully if they're hearing this, we want them to get them in here yeah. into the Korea studio. Before I let you go, <laughs> what's it been like being on the other side of the camera and being able to sit down? You just sat down with Stoli and with Gibby and to, to, to listen to the new generation, if you will, of the goaltender and be on this broadcasting side of this whole equation, um, you know, as you're become, you know, continue to be a fixture around this organization. Well, I get to work with the greatest guy in all of sports, Kent French. Yes. So that's uh-huh. a, that's a plug for my partner. Stop. Uh, he makes it incredibly fun and, and easy when you team me up, just like just like the show right now, which is great. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been, uh, it's a great transition and it's great to be able to talk about the game, be around the game, uh, not have to be in the, in the coach's room and worry about the, uh, wins and losses. And, uh, so it's a good fit, I think for my personality, it's great to sit there and talk to the goaltenders. I love talking to all the players because, you know, the generations are different and, and how they prepare and what they need to do and, and how they approach the game. But, uh, love sitting down goalie talk. Uh, you know, Gibby is, you know, he's cool hand Luke. I mean, you know, sometimes you wonder if there's a, a heartbeat until yep. he starts, you know, throwing a glove over uh, somebody's face <laughs> during Swinging the game. A right? stick, yeah. So you know that the, uh, you know, the, the passion is there, but uh, you know, we talk, you know, technical stuff. We talk about equipment and, and the same with Stoli, just being able to see, you know, what they're working on. What are the changes we can look forward to this year, equipment wise, technique wise? And, you know, we don't want to give all the uh, answers out there in case the opponents are listening yes. to this broadcast. Well, uh, well, Gibo, uh, just so everyone out there knows, uh, of course, you'll be joining me once again on Bally Sports. I'll be joining you once again. Let me just put it that way. I'm excited. Uh, the pre and post game show, all the intermissions on Bally Sports this year as we cover the game. Uh, John Ollers, Brian Hayward, Ali Lozoff, our whole team is back. Super excited to do this one more time. Hopefully not one more time. <laughs> more than one. You know uh, yeah. something I don't know? I don't know. God, I hope not. Um, yes. Yeah, so I uh, look forward to another season with you. And as we close out from Mighty until now, as far as I'm concerned, no one is mightier than the original Mighty Duck, Guillebert. Thanks for doing this. Oh, you're too kind. Thanks, buddy. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.